0: Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world Where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic.
1: Well, thank you, Matt. I am your host today, Peter Karutz, and we are live in studio. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents, and we are here with Sean Mueller, is that the right way to pronounce it? If that's what works for you, we usually say <laughs> Miller from the hometown. But
2: when I spell it, we got to go with the German way. We
1: go the Mueller way. And today's today's program is going to be messages of our late messengers, messengers, messengers of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And why in the world would we have that talk today?
2: Well, I think the main thing there's so much to the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. But um, what heartens me to the story is the fact that she called. Juanito, the smallest of my sons, to be her messenger. You know, yeah. you think about apparitions of Our Lady throughout the world. She usually doesn't go to the Pope, the bishops, the priests, the noblemen, the esteemed. She goes to these little ones. Yeah, And I want to encourage the fact that all of us have a role to play in that. We are all the little ones, whether we think we're big or not, and that we're called to carry the message. Because as soon as she asked him to do it, he said, look, I'm a nobody.
1: Right. And, and I they think, don't listen to me.
2: Uh, right. Go to someone who you will listen to who has the... Letters before and after their names or who is the noble yeah. one, et cetera. So I think if you just say that I am a little one, I'm a nobody, but I can be used. And as a believer, we all know that we're called to share in whatever capacity that we are. Whatever gifts or non-gifts we think we have or don't have, that we are messengers to carry on the faith. And what a great way to share a message and through a miraculous apparition. This, there you go. This apparition really says it all. It's it it encapsulizes it in a nutshell for people. You can just say, look, I can't explain you everything about our Lady of Guadalupe and the apparitions, but here, listen to this talk, read this book. So I Mm -hmm. want to recommend books and resources and videos and just to help people to become part of that army of Our Lady, to be her messengers, to make a difference in the light in this world.
1: And we're going to tell the story, too. You know, I got to tell you, my daughters, years and years ago, they put in a videotape that they happen to have videotape that dates me. And it was about Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I learned so much about it. But the story is just wonderful. It's a beautiful
2: story. I mean, uh, we can go into that in a a bit here about kind of in a nutshell. I think uh, everybody should know the story. You should be able to communicate it to your children. It's very uh, simple to tell. There's so many small books and videos. I'm going to recommend some sources online that you can go to. But um, it's something that we all need to know, and again, to be the messengers, even if it's in our own family.
1: That's right. And Sean, we are those messengers. We are baptized. That means we are, out, we are called to spread the good word and the mm-hmm. good news. And so that we have some other good news, and I don't get fired, we always say we start with a prayer, and I'm always forgetting. <laughs> and since you're the guest and you didn't know, so I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, sure. on this great feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, would you, would you open us sure. up with a prayer?
2: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Well, Lord, as we come before you today, we invoke your Holy Spirit, and we pray that you can take a voice, and you can have it touch the hearts of all different peoples at all different places. When you gave us Our Lady to come in Mexico City there, that you came, and she had a picture that spoke to all the natives and all their languages, and really in all the peoples from then until now, so we just... Invoke that same Holy Spirit through the intercession of Our Lady to bless these words and give people encouragement to be messengers of Our Lady and to share this love. We ask this in your name, Lord, as we pray through Our Lady's intercession. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, of God, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now it, and at the, the hour of, of our death. Yeah. Amen. In
1: the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Sean, I promised I wouldn't do it, so now I'm going to do it. Uh, you are an expert on Our Lady of God. <laughs> 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 I say... So tell me about all those initials behind your name. No, seriously. Well, I, I know. He, Sean does not like being called an expert, but you, you do have a a job where you have a little bit to do with the faith, don't
2: well, you? Well, <clears throat> so my title is Director of Religious Education, which basically every time I teach in any way like RCA or the things I do at the parish, I always say I'm not in the titles. <laughs> I'm not the letters before and after. I've had a lot of teachers with a lot of titles, yeah. and some are good, some not so good. You know, I'm educated enough to be smart, but smart enough not to be too educated because you can you really get into your own ego and so forth. And so one of the things I thought it would be good to start out with was the fact is that you know, in in an era where we just kind of venerate all these so-called experts, and we all know it from all the debates of our day, whether you're talking about climate, politics, COVID, you know, church, that you're going to have all these experts who are diametrically opposed, almost like they're committed to a worldview, and they're not really looking at any kind of a real dialogue where something is actually hammered out. So I just kind of have this hesitation to say, you know, let's listen to these experts because... You know, um, the average person can, can become a little bit gun shy of thinking like, well, who am I? I'm not an expert in the language of the Aztecs or Spanish history or I don't have my Ph.D. or X, Y, Z in this field. And therefore, you think, well, you see people qualify themselves and say, you know, I, I'm no expert, but here's what I think. But I'm like, well, wait a second. You know, this is the gift of of books and information mm-hmm. and whatnot. I might not be an expert, but I can read an expert who wrote a book or who at least kind of I can trust is credible and then I can share something about that story and I don't have to be personally a master because let's face it who can be an expert in a multiplicity of things, sure. You just you, you just can't. And so. in
1: this particular topic, we're talking about a miracle, right? I, right. I, I, what you said about not being an expert and being a, you know one of the little ones and whatnot. I tell you, when it really hit me, I, I moved to St. Louis and I was driving back and forth to Chicago, so I had oh I had so much road time, you wouldn't mm. believe it. And I'm listening to the radio, and it's one day in the middle of the night, um, and it's it's a you know, what do they put on in the middle of the night, things that they can just fill some time with. <laughs> and they had this guy on who was talking about uh, Medjugorje. Mm-hmm. And the guy on the the interviewer was, to say he was antagonistic is an understatement. <laughs> and he was almost ridiculing the guy. And he finally said, look, if, if God Almighty wanted to send a messenger, in this case, his mother, to bring a message to the world, why wouldn't he have, this is he said, why wouldn't he contact the president of CBS? <laughs> and, and the guy just paused, and he heard nothing. He says, what station are we on right now? And is this going all over the awesome. country? You know, and I think that that's what we're talking about here, yeah. and that's why we're so well qualified to talk about it, because this is not about us. It's about God coming into the world and giving us his message through his beloved mother. Yeah. This is a miracle. This yeah. is an incredible miracle. Yeah. And and many miracles that have flowed from it, yeah, well, it's it's humility, too.
2: I mean, it is interesting when you ponder that that typically if you look at the history of apparitions, it's always to the lowly, yeah, the unexpected. You know, here's Juan Diego. He's a humble Indian, recently converted. He feels like he's a nobody, and yet you know God's going to use him. So that's the mystery of how God works. He calls the humble, the little, the lowly. you know, I've hidden these things from the wise and revealed yeah. them to the babes. So um,
1: So tell me about, you know, for for anyone who doesn't know, but (laughs) I don't know if there is anybody, but let's talk a little bit about the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe.
2: Yeah. So we can start it out here. I got a little summary that I'll just read just to kind of keep me uh, on track. So this is in a nutshell. Now, if you want to read the story at home, I recommend you go online. There's the actual document written about it, the earliest one called the Nikan Mopoa, and it's a beautiful short story that just lays out a summary of the apparition. So N-I-C-A-N-M-O-P-O-H-U-A is what it's called. And so that's the original document. And um, beautiful stuff. And again, like I said, I'll recommend some books here later on. I don't know if you can uh, see this. Not you can't see it through the radio, but a beautiful oh, they one. Can oh, can see it. Hold it up <laughs> high. Guadalupe Mysteries, Deciphering the Code by Ignatius Press. Outstanding. These gents have written several works and the pictures in it are beautiful. They've got all the original um, documents filmed and written about. There's books by like one by Paul Batty here called "Maria of Guadalupe." You've probably heard uh, about Warren Carroll, "Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness." A great website that the Knights of Columbus have. Carl Anderson he wrote a book with the Father Eduardo Chavez called "Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mother of the Civilization of Love." So those are all excellent and if, before I get into it briefly here if I can just recommend a couple of these websites yeah, so please. the Knights of Columbus theirs is called Guadalupe book.com mm-hmm. and uh, so on that site they have uh, links to these ones called truths of the image org which kind of helps separate fact from fiction secrets of the which really goes into detail in some of these things so like again we'll be talking about it but you can go to that site. In fact, I'd recommend if you're listening now to go to secretsoftheimage.org where you can get a, um, it takes you to the site and you can pan the image and get up close um, details of it as we speak about it. And then just a couple other things. Well, what's,
1: if, the, what's the name of that site? Uh,
2: secretsoftheimage.org. Okay. And uh, many of you have heard about Bishop Barron's Catholicism series. Oh, yeah. He's got um, the one, I think it's episode four. It's called uh, Our Tainted Nature's Solitary Boast. And uh, that's that's got a beautiful excerpt from Our Lady of Guadalupe on it. And then um, in terms of a movie, a video, I watched one the other night that was really good called The Blood and the Rose.
1: The Blood and the Rose.
2: The Blood and the Rose. Okay. And then lastly, if you want to go um, online... You can see Guadalupe, a living image. Just type that into YouTube, okay. Guadalupe, a living image. And that really goes into the story, the details, uh, and so forth.
1: So. Well, and there's some good ones. And by the way, I'll just mention to everyone, if you would like a copy of this program, uh, we'll be happy to send it to you. During the break, I'll, I'll give you the phone number, and uh, you can call in, help us with the postage. We'll ha- we're happy to send it to you. And. You know, I'll tell you, there's a ton of information out there, but you have done some great research. So the ones you're pointing to us, I think, will be of particular interest.
2: Yes, I hope so. So yeah. it kind of cuts to the chase. Let me read the summary here. Yeah. This could be a slightly dry. It's going to be about a three-minute read, but it's a beautiful, not not dry, but beautiful in the sense that it's going to tell the story in a nutshell. So there we I'm going to be about three minutes of, of reading here. Is that okay? Perfect. Here we go. So, first of all, does your family know the story I said in Mopoa? That's a great document to read. Hopefully you'll look at some of those books. So in 1521, the Spaniards conquered Mexico under the leadership of Hernan Cortez. In Tenochtitlan, which became Mexico City, they encountered the Aztecs. The Aztecs were a highly developed and religious people. Their religious practice involved human sacrifices on the altars of their pyramids, offered mainly to their two mighty gods, the God of water and the God of the sun. The conquerors under Cortez were appalled at this practice of human sacrifice in which the heart of the victim was ripped out of his chest, still beating, and passed through the lips of the stone carving of the gods. Many of the Aztec pyramids and statues were leveled in an attempt to destroy this religion and to expulse from the land the demons responsible for these practices. With the same stones taken from the pyramids, the first Catholic churches were built in a symbolic gesture of consecrating this land to Christ. The Aztecs did not accept Christianity easily, there were many revolts and uprisings, the number of conversions was minimal, and the work of the missionaries was most discouraging. It was in this context that the newly appointed Archbishop Juan Zumarraga appealed for help from heaven. In 1531, his prayer was answered. On December the 9th, then the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, or Blessed Mother, appeared for the first time to a recent convert St. Juan Diego on Tepeyac Hill. She asked that a house be built on Tepeyac where she would hear the weeping and sorrow of all those who had confidence in her. She promised to remedy and alleviate all the sufferings and misfortunes of the people. She asked that this message be taken by Juan Diego to the bishop. After returning to see the bishop several times, Juan Diego was asked to bring proof that this message was authentic. After hearing the bishop's request, Mary instructed Juan Diego to climb the top of Tepeyac Hill, and there he would find a garden of flowers. He was asked to pick them and bring them to her. He did as a lady requested, transporting the flowers wrapped in his cloak, or what's known as his tilma. The flowers, which were roses, would be the sign asked for by the, bishop's, by the bishop, as roses did not bloom on the arid hill in the middle of December. Furthermore, these were Castilian roses, indigenous to Castile, the Spanish province where the bishop was from. When St. Juan Diego opened his tilma in the presence of the bishop and several other witnesses, the roses fell to the floor, and at the same time, the image of Our Lady appeared on the tilma. The bishop fell to his knees, begging forgiveness, for he had not believed. He took the tilma into his private chapel and placed it beside the Blessed Sacrament, where he gave thanks and praise to the Lord for having been the recipient of such a wondrous gift. Within two weeks, the first humble house or temple was erected on Teviac Hill, Here the miraculous image of Our Lady of Guadalupe would remain. Word of the apparition spread and people flooded to see the image of Our Lady. Because the image is really a codex full of Aztec symbolism, the Aztecs quickly understood that they were to embrace the faith of the missionary. So as then, as is now, that's the story in a nutshell, and it's going to be amazing to ponder what
1: they saw on the image, and we're going, to pump, we're going to plumb deep into this. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host, Peter Kroots, and we are here with Sean Mueller. And we are talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe, and the name of our program is Messengers of our Lady of Guadalupe. You just heard the story in, in its short form. But even in its short form form, there is a there is a, a deeper and deeper meaning. This is a very humble man who nobody should have listened to in a hundred years. Right. Nobody should have listened to that man. Yeah. And in fact, the bishop didn't want to.
2: Right. Well, it's interesting because, like I was
1: saying in the beginning, here's this guy that says,
2: I am a nobody, and the bishop would do probably what most people (laughs) would do, and say, get out of here. And then he comes back and says, okay, get out of here, but give me a sign. And then Our Lady knew what that sign was. And really, there's an amazing backstory that we'll never have enough time to go into, but you think about Bishop Zumarraga from Spain, Extremadura, Spain, there is a place there called Guadalupe, where there was a Mm -hmm. shrine was to Guadalupe, Our Lady of Guadalupe. And so these roses were from his hometown, which he recognized. That place was also uh, where Cortez himself visited. It's where Columbus was at when uh, King Ferdinand and Isabella signed the charter for him to come over to make the the journey. Right. He went on the boats, the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, which means young, painted girl, Holy Mary. Right. So there's more there than what we can probably even fathom. We haven't even uncovered yet. But here he was given this message to be, uh, to come to the bishop and say, Our Lady has spoken to me, and will you build this place? Now, what's the purpose? She told Juan Diego she wanted to be a mother. You know, there was a—10 years before Cortes conquered this civilization that was barbaric. Completely. Completely barbaric, uh, where they would offer sacrifice. They had bloodthirsty gods. They thought that they would satiate them by offering sacrifice, pouring out the blood, ripping out the uh, heart, which was still beating, and then cannibalizing on the victim, which— as a lot of these books say, talk about the conquest of darkness. It's almost like a satanic kingdom was set up. And this is 1,400 years after Christ. So you can see that there's a heavenly plan to both hear the cries of the people who were being sacrificed and to stop this culture of death, this culture of darkness. And oftentimes the Lady of Guadalupe is invoked as she who will kind of crush the serpent's head right. who will stop this culture of, of death. And really, it's an interesting thing when you, when you ponder it. It's almost like, the satanic kingdom is a mockery of who god's kingdom was because here we have our lady coming to speak about the true god the true lord the true one who would offer his heart mm-hmm. the true one whose heart would be torn open and its blood would be shed to cover the life which would which would satiate god in a sense to cover the sins of the guilt of man and that we then have the opportunity to feed on that victim in the life-giving gift of what the eucharist is so that temple that center it it became a source of life right and not of the of death. death
1: and the death is a, 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 on a scale that is absolutely colossal you know by their own estimations there were 250,000 people sacrificed every year wow. i mean the the scale is almost inconceivable the mass uh, uh, execution for to 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 uh you said satiate their gods. One of their gods was—I uh, I told you—I massacred the last names of our guests. I'll massacre the last—the the name of this god. This was a, this was a snake god. Quetz I mean, I don't even want to say it. But can you imagine <laughs> yeah. the, the the culture that is happening here? And Mary appearing to an absolute nobody mm-hmm. in the next years to come. How many? How many people were converted? How many people were baptized? Well, this is the real miracle. Imagine,
2: you would have a Pentecost. You know, if you think about back to Scripture and Acts, where you had three thousand people who converted in one day. One day. Yeah. Imagine you had Pentecost every day for nine years. Yeah. So you had a total in about you know a ten period window of about you know nine to ten million converts.
1: Nine to ten million. <laughs> I mean, that's almost inconceivable. You're going from a culture that was founded on death where you're killing a quarter million people a year mm-hmm. now you have 10 9 10 million people converted to the faith that is truly a miracle they
2: said that when Juan Diego was 13 so that's when they consecrated or dedicated their temple that they built 80,000 people were sacrificed just on that in that week right uh, just four uh, days four days so four it, days and then they would have wars to actually capture people to kill to kill yeah it wasn't like we want to conquer your lands. No, no, we want to kill and then cannibalize on the individuals too after they were
1: offered up to their the, the barbarism, the 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 shift in culture from such a barbaric, horrible culture of death that you're talking about to a a a a, a nation and almost a continent that is all Christian and Catholic is. Is that, I can't even describe how how different yeah. that is. So what in the
2: image itself <laughs> made them yes. turn, especially, this is a, a beaten, afraid. They feel like they had given their lives all the sacrifice, this blood uh, appeased the gods, and now that all was gone. They were uh, distressed. They had a very strong difficulty with When the Spaniards came and these these men who were not the religious, the conquistadors, some of them who used, abused, exploited, plus disease was spreading, and they were dying off from that, and they were just a demoralized people, and that's when the bishop, knowing that he was making no headway, had his appeal to heaven, and then Mm -hmm. here comes this woman who would imprint herself on this image on one of their own.
1: Right. On one of their own people and one of their own garments. I mean, and and I think that's what we're going to get into. This became their own. This was not a Spanish garment. This was a local garment. This was a local man. Yes, And the image spoke to them. It did. What did it tell them?
2: Well, first of all, let me go through. I thought, you know, every time we hear a
1: talk, and we've probably,
2: if you're in the listening audience, you've heard many talks. I certainly have. And then you think, what's the takeaway? What can I hold on to? What can I say apart from saying, hey, listen to this tape, which I recommend, you know, pass on tapes, pass on books. But I like to teach in memory aids if I can muster enough wits to come up with one. So I came up with this one here as five points about some of the kind of astounding facts surrounding the apparitions. So lo and behold, it's in the acronym of TILMA, Uh T-I-L-M-A. So what we'll do is I'll spell these out briefly and and then we'll get into some of the more detail of them specifically and then have a conversation uh, from there. So first of all, the T stands for the tilma itself. So this is one of the most phenomenal things is its very existence. The tilma was made out of cactus fiber and which basically was like a vegetable cloth, which should have decomposed in about 20 years. Now, it's been close to 500 years since that took place.
1: So its very existence alone is miraculous that's a huge thing five years that thing should be should have been falling apart you're very generous with 20 years five years this thing should have been a, 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 a just a pile of nothing
2: a pile of nothing right yeah. and it was you know it's in it's formed from two kind of sleeves and it's just kind of hung together by this single thread and the fact that it even holds together And then exists is huge, especially when you think about it it was in the open air for like 116 years. And we're talking candles burning, people touching, kissing. Then you had a man who spilled nitric acid on it back in the 1700s. And that should have just eaten away at at it totally. But that you can still see a little smear mark from it on the image itself. And then back in the 1920s, a a man tried to basically explode a bomb and destroy it. And everything blew up, you know, the marble statue or the altar where it was on and all the things and the windows, that all was destroyed except for the tilma itself, right. it wasn't untouched. So again, right. the existence of the, of the tilma, the T. So I, the image itself, um, this is what fascinates scholars. And I think the more, you know, scientific we get in our technology, the more we'll kind of realize what a, what a gift this is. So it's not a painting. They have discerned that there's no underdrawing, no uh, sketch from infrared photography, there's no known pigments, no that, paint, no paint. Huh. Now later on, if you look at the image, it kind of looks like there are paint painting that is flaked off, and they say that somebody, like for instance, I don't know who this person was, but they they tried to paint a little crown on our lady, oh, and they tried yeah, to yeah, yeah, somehow yeah, right. thought that they could make it more sure. magnificent. Yeah, don't have to
1: mess with God. <laughs> it <Yeah. doesn't>. He's <laughs> so, a pretty good artist. So that
2: that paint has wore off. You right. know, like you don't really see the crown anymore. That right. they they drew cherubs yeah. on the side of right. it. So. That's what might be some of the discrepancy when sure. you see it. But actually when you have this infrared, it's a beautiful, um, it just shows there's no brushstrokes on the image mm-hmm. in and of itself and the, again, no p- pigments. And what, what I find fascinating about it is like you've probably heard of the principle of iridescence. Like if you look at a mm-hmm. butterfly yeah, right. or some feathers or soap bubbles mm-hmm. or certain things, That basically the colors change depending upon the angle. So here is an image where depending upon where you're standing or or looking at it, the image can change. So that's why it was a real blend of peoples that close up, you might recognize it as one of their own from Mexico, but farther away, you might see that this is kind of like a Spaniard. And then maybe from a different angle, you might see this as a Jewish girl. Yeah. So you have all those kind of dynamics going on in this one mother, a real unity of peoples, there's. And I, I think that that is really um, fascinating to ponder. So T I L, the landscape, the landscape oh. of heaven and earth. So it's really fascinating. If you look at the cloak, and they've done studies on this, when you lay it out, it's like the topography of the land of Mexico oh. and all the little flowers and where they're placed on the image. Uh, it's an amazing comparison to see oh this represents this this represents that and they kind of see this is the land that our lady has come in and then of course we've probably heard the story of the outer garment with the stars on it that studies have shown that that's the way the stars were in the constellation in the sky December 12 1531 one around 6 in the morning so again the the land topography and then the stars Talk about heaven and earth, because that's really the symbol of what it is. She's coming from heaven to earth to kind of unite the two to draw us into it. T-I-L-M, uh, the meaning of the symbols on the image, which maybe we can get back to here before too long. But can I, do I have time to go yeah, with some Yeah, you of got us? a half a minute. All right. So what caused millions of natives to convert in record time, if not for the recognition of the meaning of the symbols of this woman? So we're going to unpack those meanings, but... Uh, you know The last one, the A, the apple of the eyes, it's, that's going to be one of the great symbols that we're going to find out later on in time, is that in the eyes, we're going to see images of persons, and in the very center, the very apple, the very core, is going to be an image of a family.
1: Well, you go out and you tell some folks to tune in, because we are right about to get into it. This is Messengers of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and we're here with Sean Mueller. You have, we have just scratched the surface. See you in a minute
0: looking for a way to teach your children about our Catholic faith Colby Academy has the solution offering a curriculum that is loyal to the magisterium classical Ignatian flexible and affordable Colby can help with all your homeschooling needs we offer a wide range of services including live online courses for those looking for assistance teaching their students recorded self-paced courses for those who want teacher instruction while needing the flexibility to move at their own pace and traditional home school courses for maximum flexibility in home education. Our support services include advising for parents, record keeping and transcript services, a grading service, standardized testing, and guidance and college counseling. For more information, check out their website at Colby.org. That's K-O-L-B-E.org. Or give them a call. Area code seven zero seven. 255 6499. That's 707 255 6499. It's Colby Academy. Including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen No Kemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to SJEN.tv or on Roku SJENTV. All this programming is free and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at Sjen.tv.
1: Welcome back to St. Joseph. Radio Presents, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host, Peter Karutz, and we're here with Sean Mueller. And we're talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe, Messengers of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Just a little side note on that Roku thing. Hey, I just went to the store and bought a TV. I think I spent $150 on it, and Roku came with it. And there it is, sjen.tv nice. right there. And all of this programming is on there. So please, th- think about picking us up on Roku or YouTube, or we've, we, you know, we got a website, we got all that stuff. So, but we are talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I don't want to squeeze anything else into it other than talking about that, because we have so much. So you just gave us a little bit of a, uh, a, a takeaway, a, a memory um, reminder, Tilma, T-I-L-M-A. So let's run through that one more time, and let's dive into it.
2: Okay, so T, the Tilma itself, the existence is supernatural. I, the image itself, the painting is wondrous that it's not... Uh, you know, any earthly pigment and whatnot. L, the landscape of heaven and earth, both under cloak and the mantle that shows the topography of the land of Mexico as well as the stars and the constellation. The meaning of the symbols on the image, which would bring about the mass conversion of all these Indians is a beautiful thing. And that's what we're going to ponder here in this next section. But, But A, uh, is I say the apple of her eye because Psalm 17, eight, eight says, keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me in the shadow of thy wings. It's in the eyes, in the center of the eyes of the image, which we've only recently found in the last 20 or so years, is this, this image of these 13 people that apparently were present there the day that the, the tomb was unfolded, and at the center of it was the family. So, And think,
1: think about the eye. I, I, if we could talk about that for a little bit. You think about the eye. When we are seeing something, there is that image that, is portrayed in our brain, but it's actually reflected. It really is that image that we're seeing mm-hmm. is in our eye. It's reflected on our retina. It's there. And when we look into the image of Our Lady in her eye, yeah. what do we see? So you see these people, but at the heart of it is a
2: family. Yeah, And it's interesting, too, that the, the largest figure in the image of the family is the woman, which I love because, you know, we know the mother is the glue that binds the family together. And you think about our mother coming in this time, um, they provide that maternal, nurturing, loving, caring instinct that helps us become, you know, more, I guess, attuned, uh, respondent to who God is and his awesome power and love. But that family bond, the mother glue, yeah, right. everything, this is what united a family. This is what united the cultures right. uh, in at, at the time when she appeared.
1: Right. So now we have the meaning to the to these Indians.
2: Yeah. So first of all, again, I, I was saying in the beginning that, um, we are little messengers and that we need not worry about those who have all these letters before and after their names to be experts to speak on it. But I just wanted to kind of, kind of qualify that to say, you know, there are some great intellects out there. And I, and one who I gathered quite a bit of information is, is Dr. Larry Feingold, who, um, Peter knows as well, and I uh, when I read through, he's got a forty-page document on Our Lady of Guadalupe, and and you know, coming from a man of, of his intellectual stature, he said that um, I think it's fair to say that no miracle has ever been more spectacular than the appearance of Our Lady of Guadalupe.
1: Yeah, and this is a smart guy. Let me let me just tell you, we're we're, we're laughing a little bit here. So, uh, Dr. Larry Feingold is this little itty bitty short Jewish guy who became a Catholic. And I was so looking forward to go and hear him speak. And I'm at a, a Catholic Men for Christ conference. And uh, one, of the, one of the folks who work for the Archdiocese, I, I mentioned that to him and he looks at me. He's a young man. He looks at me and he says, Peter, you really shouldn't go. I said, why not? He says, man, you're just not smart enough to, <laughs> to appreciate it. But he is. He, he is so smart. But what, let me say something about him. He is very understandable. Mm-hmm. You know, he shares his wisdom in a very intelligible way yeah
2: yeah which is the gift of what i think god has done in this image that you have these great truths of our faith but to put it all on a simplistic cloak in picture symbols so that people of all languages Mm -hmm. could understand right that's a working of the holy spirit so Again, what Dr. Larry Feingold says is I think, again, we, we do have great, smart, intellectual people out there, but it's we can learn from these and share this message, and this is what Juan Diego did. So, so first of all, um, the image itself. Again, if you go to secretsoftheimage.org, the Knights of Columbus has a great site to examine this up close. And I really do recommend a couple years ago we bought – you can buy a full-bodied um, image made on this similar cactus fiber that for like a couple hundred dollars and have it in your parish church. But um, so you start off with the the tea the the tilma itself. So this is. A cape made out of agave cactus fiber. It was the cheapest fabric to be found in Mexico. Like we said, it can only last for a few years. I got this great little video where this guy takes um, one of the plants, kind of trims off the edge, pulls it out, and it's like a needle and thread. And that's what they made this out of. And so the tilma itself, this cloak, has got two pieces. And you can see it if you look at the back of the head on down over the knee, on down through the middle of the moon. You see where the, the two pieces come together. And the fact that that even holds together is surprising. Now, there is no scientific explanation for this. Uh, Again, like we said, it's existed 116 years outside before they put in any kind of a protective case. You think about the infrared, the the radiation, the the, the candles, the soot. It should be coal black by now, but it's not. It's still there, lively, vibrant. Kind of joke back in 2009, then U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton went to go visit it, and the man giving her the tour, uh, she, she had asked him, she goes, well, who painted it? <laughs> and he responded,
1: God. God. <laughs> God painted it. Did she cringe? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what her
2: response was. But, but the gift of all is that they've shown through this infrared that there is no under sketch. there's no paint, there's no pigment, yeah. there's no base coat, no oils, no varnish, overcoat, or nothing. So that's, that's very- um, You couldn't do that today. You couldn't do that today. Much less 500 years ago. Right. So whatever materials were used to produce the color are unknown to science in the periodic table of elements. So wow. we spoke about iridescence. It yeah. depends upon yeah. which way you look. It's almost like it's like a Polaroid imprint that- is not made by human hands. So we mentioned that it was spilled nitric acid. Right, you can see that on the right side of it where, where that is. We mentioned that it was tried to be uh, exploded in 1921. But so here, getting down to some of the uh, the details of the image itself. First of all, this is a picture writing. There were 24 languages and perhaps 50 dialects in Mexico at the time. And uh, when you see right away from the image. It should harken back everyone to Revelation 12, 1, a great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So you think about being clothed with the sun. Well, first, outside of the image of the sun, you see this cloud. So this kind of cloud-like um, image. And so among the peoples, they believe that among the fog and among the clouds comes from God. So this person comes from God. And that should harken back to in Christianity, you know, the cloud has always been a symbol of, right. of the Holy Spirit. That's right. You know, in um, looking back at the Transfiguration or the Annunciation, back to Moses, or, yeah. Yeah, it's all there. So here she's clothed with the sun. Yeah. The sun was worshipped as the highest of the Aztec gods. Here she comes standing in front of it. So being clothed with the sun was a sign that her god was more powerful and dreaded than their sun god <laughs> of war. That's right. And that she blocked the sun. It was also clear that there would no longer be human sacrifices to the sun god, to whom they had in the past sacrificed whole tribes to appease him. And that's that's significant there. So from another perspective, you might say that Our Lady is not simply seen as blocking the sun, but that she is clothed in, in light. Sun, and you yeah. think about all these apparitions of Our Lady throughout history from... Uh, Rudebach in France, Lords Fatima. She's always clothed in light. Hmm. So she's clothed with the sun. And then you have the moon under her feet. So to the Aztecs, the moon represented the god of darkness and death. The darkened crescent moon was the symbol of the Aztec serpent god. So by standing on the moon, she shows that she's more powerful than the god of, of darkness. Right. And, of course, that goes back to there's kind of a little debate about this, about her title as She was called a Lady of Guadalupe. Now, in the Nahuto language, that sounds, the term for that seems to be Guadalupe is kind of like a term that means she who crushes the serpent's head, which I say, why not have them both? You know, you yeah. have got these uh, various layers of meaning there. And we know that when she's standing on the moon, if that's a symbol of the serpent, that goes back to Genesis 3.15. Right. You know, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Yeah. You will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. So that's
1: and when you say Guadalupe, there is a Guadalupe in Spain. Yeah, and when you say it in that local language, it sounds like she who crushes the head of the serpent. When yeah. you say it, not
2: not in not back in Spain, but in the in the in, language in of the, the dio- native language in the native
1: language. Yeah. God has a great plan, doesn't he?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again, I don't even know how to really say it to where it would make any sense. Right. Yeah. But. Um, so it's fitting that she is going to come to crush the serpent's head, who they had just had a victory over, thanks be to God, through Cortez. But now it's going to also kind of carry it from the physical to the spiritual. And so it's going to really lift up the people who are crushed and broken into a, a spiritual people dedicated to Christ, in Christ, her, her son. So, so it's interesting, too, that, that she's standing in the center of the moon, and the etymology of Mexico means that the center of the moon. So there would become, oh, she, would, is. she would be in oh. the center of this. In fact, if you look at the Mexican state flag, you've got this eagle who has this serpent in its mouth and it's standing on, lo and behold, this cactus mm-hmm. bush. That's right. So, um, which is interesting when you think about the cactus cloth, the serpent, right. you know, and then the eagle. Well, Juan Diego, his name means he speaks like an eagle. So there's got to be his, his
1: his native language. His name, native yeah.
2: language. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, some have su- suggested that this angel that you see under the image, under the moon, is kind of like um, some stylized view of this child man, mm-hmm. like Juan Diego, who is the messenger. He's got one mm-hmm. hand on the tilma cloak and one hand on 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 the mantle. So here he's this messenger eagle uh, carrying this out to our days now and we'll speak more about that later on if we have time but if you look at the image itself then right away you see these beautiful colors so she's wearing a jade color colored mantle with gold trim covered with stars that was the color of the gods and of royalty was more important than gold so the high priest wore this color on his headdress people were buried with jade colored jewelry as they thought it would be a means to enter a new life. So she's in royal garments. She's the queen, the queen of heaven, as Juan Diego called her, sent from heaven to bring the message from the king. So then we talk about the stars. So just as a star would announce the Savior at Bethlehem to the three magi, so these stars would point the Aztecs to the one whom Our Lady comes to announce. The stars were worshipped as gods by the native people, And so wrapped around the woman on her garment, it shows that she was greater than the stars of heaven, which they worshipped, part of the creation of the creator to whom the woman is reverently bowing. So again, a 1983 study concluded that the stars on the mantle are exactly as the stars of the winter solstice appeared on the morning of December 12, 1531. Unbelievable. So you can go on YouTube and various video sites and you can see these. It's really amazing to ponder that even on the forehead of the image, of uh, you know, if you if you kind of map this up in the constellation, you see this, the image what they call the Corona Borealis, the the mm-hmm. crown. So it's almost like you have a a heavenly constellation crown over where Our Lady's crown was, which which like you said, somebody tried to paint later on. But, but I don't these... want to
1: I don't want to take you off your your game here. But you know what keeps striking me is this is what Christ did. He met people where they were at. I mean, Our Lady and through Christ's great work meeting all of these people exactly and precisely where they were at. They would recognize all these symbols as saying something about them. Right. He was talking to them specifically. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I think back to the star we call Mary star of the sea. You know, you get the term Esther star. You think about Fatima that she has, she was wearing a star. There's, Mary is this star that kind of points us to to the true light, which is is God. So, so here though she's clo- she's enclothed in these stars. She has her head bowed down, her hands in prayer. If you look at her hands, um, she like Esther of old. They're they're joined in supplication. So she's not a goddess. You know, somebody's made a connection. If you look at the way her hands are, it's the one and the three and the thirteen, and that goes back to both Fatima and Esther. There's some symbolism there. That's probably more so than what we can muster. But so she, like Esther, is is this intercessor for uh, her her people. And then, if you look at her her knee, it's bent as if in in motion. So hmm. it's clasped hands indicate prayer, but even more for Indians, her entire body would have indicated that she was praying. For them prayer was expressed not only in words or song but in solemn dance. <coughs> Excuse me Hino.
1: Right and just so you know I am actually enthralled but I I pulled up the site that you mentioned before and I'm I'm actually looking at an image as we are going through this and uh, the, and this is an image that is great profundity to me, too. If we have time, I'll tell you when I got one when I was 10 years old, and uh, it's been with me all my life. But as we look at the image, we are seeing how our Lord was really speaking to the local folks.
2: Yeah. So for them, uh, the way her her leg is there, it's like she's got, it's almost like she's in motion. Her weight was on one foot and the other knee bent in a, in a dance step. For right. for Indians, that was a certain type of a, of a, of a high type of, of prayer. And you even see it to this day on, on the feast day, you see the dancing and the, and the celebrating. So now take a look at her hands. They point up to a a, a brooch on her tunic that has a cross on it. So this brooch identifies the blessed Virgin with the cross, which the Indians had seen on the banner of Cortez and on the ships of the Spaniards. That's key. It convinced them that the religion of their conquerors was the true religion, the one that they were to embrace. So her dress of rose is overlaid with gold lace, fur trim, necks and cuffs, gold border on the Cape. These are all signs that she is a Royal queen mother. And it's interesting. If you look at the end of the dress, it's a, uh, Rolled back over the sleeves with white fur. Right, right. I was just noticing that, yeah. And apparently that was the common dress of Jewish nobility. Oh, is that right? Isn't that fascinating? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So she's Indian and she's Jewish and... And she's Spanish and she's for all. And this is St. Joseph Radio Presents coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host, Peter Karutz, and we are here talking about... Our Lady of Guadalupe, Messengers of Our Lady with Sean Mueller. And we're, uh, we're concentrating on the M uh, per- part of the tilma, the meaning of it to, right. the, uh, to the local indigenous folks. Yeah, so let's just keep going down. So the, the design and flowers
2: on the red rose colored dress. So red is a symbol of the earth. She's wearing a contour map of Mexico. The designs of the gold thread is embroidered flowers it, and, and where,
1: where is that on the on, on it? So I'm looking at the dress itself and the various contours are are the country of Mexico, right? Yes, yeah, so you have to get a real close up to yeah. see
2: all the flowers, yeah, and the design, and you have to go into detail to really see how I, I it's have, laid out there. I have never noticed that. That's brilliant. Yeah, and so it even told the Indians through these various hills and the landscape where the apparition took place because ah. there's one uh, flower sign that's, that this is the hill yeah. of Tepeyac. So now this is really fasting the black belt and bow around her waist. Um, the ribbon is what would be considered the Aztec maternity belt. Ah. The, Ast- uh, the the high position of the bow and the swites, the slight swelling of the abdomen. It show that indeed the lady is with child. Yeah,
1: Revelation 12 again.
2: With Emmanuel, with God with us. Now, if you look at all the image from from the guy, uh, Father Eduardo Chavez, who he he was the postulator for um, Juan Diego's cause. He's an expert on it. He says the most central important image on the whole works is right underneath the bow. Okay. And there is only one of these depicted on the image. It's one four-petaled flower. Its location is the most important symbol on the whole image. This flower was to the Aztecs, the supreme symbol of life, where God is, the center of the universe. And here it rests exactly over Mary's womb, who is with the divine child, the son of God, the source of all life. So if you look at their pyramids and their structures, underneath them, they would always build them underneath these four petaled flower, which indicated kind of like the four corners of the globe at the center of which is this god of the universe. And here, this flower is over her womb, underneath the bow, which signifies that she is pregnant. Wow. So that's that's really fascinating. And then also, so you hear she's a pregnant woman, and then if you look at even the style of her hair, mm-hmm. so it's kinda, it's she wears her hair uh, hanging loosely, which is right. a sign of virginity. So when the Indians saw Holy Mary of Guadalupe's hair, they immediately knew she was a maiden. Since her hangs since her hair hangs straight she has a sign of virginity so a virgin pregnant
1: with child I guess uh, <laughs> I guess that talked to them in a particular way I mean I, I have listened to talks about our Lady of Guadalupe for for years I, I never heard that I mean that's unbelievable but and it, it's it's so true right it's in an image we're conveying the almost... Totality of the faith. So it really is like what we say before the world became more literate,
2: the you know, you would teach people through stained glass windows. Right. And so this is a picture form of of our of our God coming through our lady and describing right. who she is. Then then you just look at the beautiful face. I mean, yeah. this blows away Mona Lisa. That um, this is it's it's she's considered mestizo, meaning a blend of races, in, in this case Aztec and Spanish. So right. if you look at her features, it's in the shades of bronze and olive. She's called the Moranita, the little dark-skinned girl, but she's got this tender and loving mm-hmm. expression. So like I said before, this principle of iridescence, and that you see her according from different angles and how she relates to maybe your own culture. And then you look at her her face, it's, it's, it's beautiful. So then having her head bowed with her eyes looking down, it was a sign to the native people that she was not a goddess, since in their art the gods stare straight ahead and with their eyes wide open. Right, yeah. So this shows that she is not divine, but belongs to God and honors him clothed in his light. So here again, we come back to the mystery in our lady's eyes. So what's fascinating is that if this is in both of our eyes, like, you know, I didn't know that one, uh, I was reading this one book. This guy says, look, okay, is this a stretch? Right. We're magnifying itself. We're kind of trying to impose something on it. But he's like, when you see that this is in both eyes at the precise locations, these images. So, in both of her eyes, in the, in the precise location, as reflected by a live human eye, can be seen a total of 13 figures that have been extensively analyzed and seem to correspond to the shape and size of human figures located in front of the image. And so this man named Jose Aste Tansman, he's the one who has done the massive work. He's um, basically magnified this by a resolution of 25,000 pixels and has been the one to really kind of give us the the uh, more uh, detailed of these images. And like I was saying before, you can see an image of Juan Diego, of what they believe is the bishop, of servants, of of various other folks, but that in the center are these six people, a man and a woman and three children, and also another couple, maybe grandparents. So this man, Jose Tonsman, he, he ventured to express why he believes the virgin's eyes have a hidden message yeah. for modern times, but yeah. only in, a, in the modern times can technology discover it. And he said, he says that at a time when the family is under serious attack in the world, this is what's been revealed as the center of the virgin's eye.
1: So God keeps talking to us directly. The family. Yeah, the family.
2: Because that's what's falling apart. That's yeah. what fell apart in their culture. And we know when the family goes, so goes... Yeah. the nations. We we
1: live in a world that discounts the value of marriage and at the same time distorts what marriage really is. And, and the family is nowhere if we don't have marriage. So praise God, we've got this sign
2: for our times that, um, you know, to kind of come back to God. Like I was saying before, you know, this messenger of this image is this what looks like an angel underneath this he who talks like an eagle an eagle it looks like a uh what some people say is this young old uh angelic juan diego but he's holding an image of her cloak from earth a cloak from heaven and he is the one like we're to be these little messengers to communicate this gift um of our God,
1: so. I'm going to let everyone know the phone number here if you'd like to get a copy of this program. It's 636-447-6000, 636-447-6000. I'll say it again in a moment or two. We have about two minutes left or so. So I, I know one thing I want to encourage people to do is maybe, maybe think about this as a gift for your family. For your, you know, I know you said a church, but mm-hmm. maybe you could get a uh, uh, an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe for your home, uh, and and maybe use it as a teaching tool, whether you have young kids or grandkids or or whatever. But yeah. we have about two minutes, so tell me what, we, well, how can we wrap this up?
2: Well, <clears throat> kind of going back to what we said in the beginning is that um, when Saint Juan Diego sought to excuse himself from Mary's invitation to speak with the bishop, mm-hmm. he said, "I am a nobody," right? Mary would not excuse him from doing her work because of his lack of connections and influence. So I think in all of us, whatever gifts we feel like we have or don't have, you know, we have to take her words and say she says, it is very necessary that you personally go so that through your intercession, my wish may be carried out, and to trust that we are the apple of her eye. We are hidden in the shadow of her wings, her mantle. So that, like she said, am I not here who am your mother? Are you not under the shadow and protection? Am I not your fountain of life? Are you not in the folds of my mantle and the crossing of my arms? Is there anything else that you need? Now, as we spread this message, I always love to go back to what St. Bernadette said at Lourdes when people were trying to question her. She goes, I don't have to make you believe this. I have to let you know. Right. So for all of us, we can say, I have to let you know about this gift, you know, the gift of miracles is what we've always used to help give motives of credibility to our faith, and especially in this day and age when every viewpoint we have is so contradicted or try to, you know, be debated, is that we've got this gift of miracles to kind of guide us and to help us.
1: And this is a great miracle. And as we journey forth here into the last days of Advent, keep Mary at the center, do the posadas, and uh, we'll see you next week.